better You've got the look that's all together Working, playing So what's your business model? Not necessarily the company you work for, though that's an interesting question as well, for sure, but what's your business model? Are you a freelancer, an entrepreneur, a a 40-hour-a-week at-will employee, a consultant, etc.? Now that's probably the first thing you thought of, right? But interestingly, the question has a lot more nuance depending on your age, where you're from, or even the education you have. Some people, like Michael Lewis, author of the book The New New Thing, called the business model a term of art. And kind of like art, the business model was, yeah, I know it when I see it. Basically, Lewis said the business model was how I plan to make money. Now, Peter Drucker, the famous business consultant, of course, talked about business models as, quote, assumptions about what a company gets paid for, end quote. So using those examples, the words freelancer, entrepreneur, 40-hour-a-week at-will employee, etc., they stop making sense. And you've got to start looking at the core of your business model as what you do to make money. Really, you have models like, I write opinions about what other companies should do, or I put together plans for how our company's product should be marketed, or I help manage teams that sell our product, or sometimes it might be simply and sadly, I sit in meetings and answer email all day. Now, I don't say that to make us feel bad about what we do or limiting in any way, but it does beg the question about our business model. All of us, to some degree, work in businesses that are undergoing fundamental transformation or disruption. Financial services, media, healthcare, consumer packaged goods, advertising. But again, those aren't business models. It's actually the underlying business model that's disrupted, not the vertical. So when we say financial services is being disrupted, it actually isn't. It's just the model for how financial services companies make money that's being disrupted. And that's true with us as well. Whether we speak or consult or teach or put together plans for products, mow lawns, answer the telephone, serve drinks at bars, or help other clients figure out stuff, it's not us that are being disrupted. It's how we do us that we need to figure out new models for. Now, there's a quote from statistician George Box that says, All models are wrong, but some are useful. It means that there is no purpose in asking if the model is true because they will always be wrong. The only really interesting question is, does the model help illuminate what we might do in the future? So wouldn't it be interesting if we start looking at the future of our careers this way? Explore our business model as knowing it will change and help illuminate what we might do next. And that's the theme of our show this week, models. Exploring the ones that are clearly useful and the ones that are truly broken, and how both can help us understand what we need to know for the future. And with that, it's time for me to take our little model show down the catwalk and do a little turn. You ready to open up the glue, twist off a few plastic bits, and put this show together? Then let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. 
Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 148, the post-content marketing world 2016 episode of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, September 12th, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the newest, most feature-rich content marketing model, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Happy, uh, happy CM world. Oh, thank you. I'm, I, you know... <laughs> I, I'm really, truly happy it's over. I don't want that to sound sound terrible. Right, exactly. But we work up. I mean, we've been working for, what, 13 months to get uh, to Content Marketing World 2016, and it was yeah. a great success, and uh, the team just was amazing. As year. always. And the community was just so good. And Well, you mentioned this to me, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it, but we were comparing 2015 and 2016 and you were saying that you thought the vibe was way more positive than the year way before way more positive the year over year you know and i don't mean to suggest that 2015 was you know overly negative but yeah i you know this year i had you know it was it, it was it was i mean it was lovely and wonderful of course but it was it was the, the the sort of two overwhelmingly positive vibes was okay business you know business case made in almost sort of uh, extreme proportions right the most common refrain coming up people coming up to me in the hallway and in consultation sessions etc wasn't how do I make a business case it was oh my god our bosses now get it and they get it to such a degree that I don't know how to scale fast enough. yeah I don't know how to I don't know how to create what I need to do because. That everybody is so hungry for this, I just don't know what the heck I'm doing. There were very few people who actually came up to me and said, oh, "I'm frustrated. I'm looking for a new job. I'm, you know, my company doesn't get it. You know, blah blah blah." There was lots and lots of, you know, we need to do this and we need to do it now in a big way. So the scalability was the big challenge and keyword that I would say for this year. Well, the it sort of flowed into my my keynote uh, where, for those of you that weren't there, was super fun to do. Uh, where and thank you, uh, <laughs> right. thank you, Mr. Rose, because you know that it was a week before I was going to get my keynote, <laughs> and I told you that I was creatively stuck. I'm like, what, you know, what, how am I going to do this? I got 25 minutes on stage. What's the theme? And, you know, we were looking at the the research, you know, the Content Marketing Institute marketing props research we do every year, and the to your to your point, the research bears out the positivity. There's yes, there's much right. more that people are feeling much more successful. Uh, so that's good. They're being able to, to measure it even more than they ever have. But I, I saw this stat, and and you were talking about this, and say, hey, what what about this commitment stat? And it's a really interesting statistic, and I, I basically play with it the entire keynote about the idea that uh, enterprise marketers who are full, who say they're fully committed, which are twenty percent of the people that filled out the survey. Those that say that they're fully committed to the approach of content marketing are the most successful, are the, the best aligned, they, um, they're they the best able to measure their content marketing approach. And I'm like, oh, 20% though. You know, that, so of course, you know, I was playing with, how, how are you, so, so we have 80% of marketers out there that are somewhat <laughs> right, exactly. committed, you know, like, it, so I was throwing up some slides, like of, uh, you know, put up Darth Vader, and I said, can you be somewhat committed to being a father? You know, can you be somewhat committed to <laughs> right. your marriage, your relationship? Can you be somewhat committed to driving? And that's where we were, so my call to arms um, and I didn't want to get too negative because it, it almost sounded like the majority of us, because I think the pe people that are a content marketing world, for the most part, they are the committed ones. They're spending 
you know, good good chunk of money and travel to be a content marketing world. And but but they're probably committed, but maybe their teams are not as committed. Their executive staff is not as committed. So I basically was like, get back to your office and make this a priority about doing it right or don't do it at all. And that, right. so that was sort of the controversial. I got got a, quite a few people coming up to me afterwards saying, so are you telling people not to do content marketing? I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm telling them. <laughs> like, if you aren't going to commit to it, there's no halfway about it. You're either all in yeah. or go don't do, do something right. else. Exactly. Go, go, right. go buy advertising. Go interrupt mm-hmm. lots of people. It's fine. I mean, if you, if you want to do that, it's inefficient. It doesn't work very well, at least as much as it used to. But go do that. Stop wasting everybody's time and resources with this halfway approach. To well, that's marketing. it, right? I mean, because you know, one of the things that I talked about in, in in my session that I had it was this idea that we're stuck, and you know, which is where you know our discussion started was when you called me. Of course, I'm in the middle of my, you know, figuring out my presentation, and you know, it's this the headline that I had is that we're stuck in average gear right now, and you know, it's this you know we're doing it, but we're not killing it. We're you know we're we're it's okay, but we're not doing you know we're it, it's we're stuck and and. and a lot of that has to do with, quite frankly, marketing more broadly in many organizations, just quite frankly, is still trying to get its strategic seat at the table. And so when it's a, you know, when marketing itself is a small piece of what we're doing, this idea of something innovative called content marketing becomes simply a small experiment that's done over in the corner somewhere mm-hmm. while no one's looking. And it just can't, if you're going to succeed with it, you know, now that's not to say that, and in most cases, quite frankly, one of the things that I see most commonly is a big business will have something that's working, you know, either by hook or by crook or by experiment or whatever it is, the thing is working. And then somebody goes, Hey, that's working. Why, why don't we do more of that, please? But then the, the response to that is, well, that means stopping doing something else. That means stopping those newsletters, or it means stopping that advertising program, or it means stopping that social program that's not working. And it's, Stopping those things that have the big mo, as it were, the big momentum, is really hard. And that's, you know, so the literally the slide was when you called me and said, I'm stuck and trying to figure this out. The slide that I had working up on my desk was the business case of what we're trying to do these days is not what to do, but it's rather what to stop doing. It's, you know, we have to figure out what we're going to stop doing in order to make room for these new things called content marketing. And in order to commit you're going to have to stop doing because nobody's lacking for time or, you know, or, or has time or budget that's lacking right now. It's, you know, we're, we're, we're too busy already. So we're going to have to stop stuff to start new stuff. Well, it's a good thing you were around because you complete me, my friend. Oh, I, oh my I was gosh. I was literally oh, in the doldrums. Oh, that's sad. I know it's, it is sad. <laughs> Actually, this is uh, you know I live a sad life. I mean, this is the truth. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, just for those of you that weren't there. Uh, we had about thirty six hundred uh, people there, which is about four to five hundred more than last year. And <clears throat> and we had I, I was just told. I was using 60 countries in my keynote, and I was told we had 74 countries represented. And that that's just amazing. Blo- that's like 20 more than the year before. That just blows my mind. I mean, you met with a lot of the international folks. I met with a it wonderful, huge. It was so wonderful. wonderful delegation from Germany. I think we had 32 people from Germany this year. Yeah. I mean, it, it, 
I met so many international folks that basically they they saved up a lot of their budget to come to the event this year, and and I feel like we gave them a good show, and they they weren't disappointed because everyone came up to me and said, you know, this was we only had enough to send one or two people this year, but we're bringing back our whole t- whole team, and I said, I love that. That's exactly what I want to hear. So exactly, exactly. So uh, I guess we should. We didn't really do a normal show last week, so I, we probably need to. Or, we I don't, people are going to be like upset. <laughs> well, or... We do have quite a bit. I mean, I, there was a lot that happened certainly while we were gone. You know, there. I mean, holy smokes! There's a new iPhone that happened. You know that oh, you yes. know, nobody was talking about because, quite frankly, hashtag CM World was trending on Twitter. Um, and that's true, by the way. That is true. Um, and, um, uh, you know, so there was lots that happened over the last week, and we have certainly a lot to, to talk about in the news. By the way, break literally breaking news as we go to air here and, and record this, um, OpenText is buying Documentum, so all of the content business of EMC Dell, um, which includes primarily the platform of documentum and and buys it for 1.6 billion dollars um so so there you have it um you know as i tweeted out today (laughs) this is you know not that surprising actually open text is kind of the oakland raiders of content technology it's where all veteran technology platforms on content seem to end up at some point (laughs) leave it to you to to use a football (laughs) metaphor with that yeah Uh, sorry for those who don't get the football metaphor but it's (laughs) For those of you who do, I'm sure I will get hate mail from the Oakland Raiders fans. But um, well, we, yeah, we so would I don't have a huge take less. on it yeah. other than to say that you know I think if you're a Documentum owner right now and user that this is that this is troubling um, to see what you know Open Text is going to do with it. I I think it provides a little unsurety in terms of you know what's going to happen to the product. It's a you know it is a good product and we'll see we'll see what they do with it. I mean that. It, with an acquisition this big, it's always in the you know it's always a year or two down the line that the rubber meets the road. So well, I think that if they sponsor at the Intelligent Content Conference in, in March, then they're off to a really good start. That's so right. That's, that's right. That's There's what I want. Open see. text out there. Yeah, basically, <laughs> it's all about me, the, man. I yeah, sounds very right. very selfish. So, <laughs> uh, so okay, down down to the uh, to the regular news flow. I think you've got a good one to, to kick. I us off do. Here. The first story that uh, we're going to talk about um, comes from uh, you know a friend and family of the show buzzsumo.com uh, the website there big hat tip by the way here to Janet Wagner um, at webcode pro on Twitter if you'd like to follow Janet thank you Janet for the story the headline here also coming out while we were at content marketing world the future is more content Jeff Bezos robots and high volume publishing says the headline and this one Written by Steve over there at BuzzSumo and and opens up by saying, which of these sums up your view on content production? Content is about quality, not quantity. We should be producing high-value, authoritative content regularly, not publishing lots of short posts. Less is more. Or winning in digital media now boils down to a simple equation. Figure out a way to produce the most content at as low a cost as possible, which comes from an article from Digiday in 2013. Do you agree with the first statement? He said, I do too, until recently. But he says now he thinks we could be wrong. And then goes through a long post, a, let's, let's just call it that, a very lengthy analysis of both the Washington Post, um, which now publishes around 1,200 posts a day, something we've covered on this show before, and, and other sort of elements of artificial intelligence and volume publishing. And basically the conclusion is, is that the future is publishing 
more content. What did uh, so? What did you make of this? Well, what's interesting is is that if you look at uh, well, we haven't released the full research results. We'll do it in on, in October. But according to our research that I talked about a little bit of content marketing world, seventy five percent of the marketers that completed the survey say say the same thing. They're all going. I mean, I think they all, in essence, say, "Oh yeah, we believe that we need more quality content. We need to publish at a regular basis." But they're all creating more now. The contention that I have in this article is, what are we getting for the 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 more engagement or the web traffic? Because as soon as Steve started, and by the way, Steve, hi, great supporter of the show. Uh, so Steve's, uh, I love what Steve's put together with this article. He goes on and on about how the Washington Post and BuzzFeed and all these places are getting more traffic. And if you do comparisons, you know, they're saying, okay, well, more content equals more traffic, more social shares and those types of things. But what does that do for the business? Now, if you're a media company, more traffic, usually you can monetize if you're on a CPM basis or whatever the case is. So more is better, regardless of who the more is. Now, the issue is, is that if you're a B2B company and you get more more traffic, the answer is, well, it depends. Right. It depends on what the behavior change is going to be because traffic in and of itself is meaningless. And if you, right. if you, if you let me uh, share a story really quick because it happened to Content Marketing World and I just thought it was really telling and I thought about this example as, as we were going through this. So, uh, so Curata, um, one of our uh, wonderful supporters and a sponsor this year at Content Marketing World, I had a chance to sit down with the team over there and they were going through their platform and how they track the things that they track with their content. And that what they wanted to share was, we wanted to show you how our content works on other people's sites. And they said that we they, they'd been promoting, uh, creating and promoting content for a while on Huffington Post. And their content on Huffington Post gets by far the most traffic and the most social shares of anything they do, far more than what they do at Content Marketing Institute. And they also shared, as was they were tracking the whole thing, that absolutely zero business had ever come from a Huffington Post article. <laughs> right. Zero. Right. And then they said, that, oh, look at Content Marketing Institute. We don't necessarily get as much traffic or as much social shares, but significant business has come from creating content on your site. So that's what I thought about, where you're really thinking about and and I And I'm hoping that we have... I thought, I guess I thought we'd gotten out of this rut where we're really thinking about traffic. And I know that's not where Steve's going. Steve is a really good, thoughtful article because he's going through automated content and machine learning and bots and all this kind of stuff. And how do we create more content with limited resources and the costs have come down so much. But I, I read this article and I'm still at the point where it's still about quality content where you're creating a destination that, that is of authority, that you're building a relationship with with readers for a long period of time, that they're changing their behavior over those times, or they're showing you some behaviors that really will be <clears throat> meaningful to your business overall. And then in the long run, like you've always said, we have created better customers because we've taken them through that process and continue to after they uh, after they become customers. So that that was my take with the whole thing, and I'm still not at all convinced that more content is the better way to go. Yes, I, and and yeah, I, I I well, I left a uh, a a a comment yes. and had a little back and forth with Steve there, and 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 also want to just highlight the fact that I thought it was great for him to set up such a 
provocative question and worthy and conversation. Truly, yes. Yeah, worthy conversation to have here and sort of ask the question regardless of the outcome of the conclusion. I so I you know, I am convinced that more content isn't the answer. <laughs> I am I am absolutely convinced that more content isn't the answer and and you know, it what he says in the post, ultimately the conclusion he comes to, I think we would be in agreement, which is ultimately once you establish the fact that you are creating high quality, he even says this at the end of the post, once you've established a, a engaged audience that you've built through quality content, then of course, yes, increase the cadence of that to the, to the extent you can. And quite frankly, if you look at the Bezos example with Washington Post, that's that's the strategy, right? What they've what the what you've got in Jeff Bezos and Washington Post is a strategy where they were turning a very big ship around with an engaged audience and quite frankly, doubling down on the investment of that platform and saying, We're gonna go into growth mode right now. So they added people. They've added, I think, you know, fifty new people to the platform. They've actually invested heavily in new technology. They actually um, opened up quite frankly. And this this is where it gets into a little bit, well, not a little bit, a lot of causation correlation with the um, sort of equation that Steve puts out there is right around April um, of last year is when they've completely opened up their network to the local newspaper, to the Washington Post network. And they basically opened up their entire doors to, to all those local newspapers and basically said, hey, listen, now you have free access to the Washington Post, which correlates to the traffic increase that they saw, basically putting themselves in front of, I think, 10 million new local newspaper subscribers who now can see the Washington Post. So there's definitely a causation correlation thing here with the increase in traffic, but good for them. Going into growth mode, adding new people, adding new investment, opening themselves up to the network, increasing or decreasing the the load time of the pages of their that's all been great, but that's an investment in cost going well and beyond sort of the profitability of the business, which of course is Amazon's raison d'etre, right? I mean, that's the thing that they do is they go, we're going to invest incredible amounts of money in growing this thing to become the platform, and then we'll ring out the efficiencies in it. That's that's been Amazon's way of going about business forever. So it doesn't surprise me that they've invested this much money into growing the platform into something, you know, quite frankly, worth subscribing to. And then they can focus. And and so if you move beyond that into sort of, okay, well, but now we're brands, right? We're a, we're a company and we're trying to focus our content, our owned media experience on driving something whether it's traffic or page views or or you know or uh, uh, you know looking at its subscribership or basically trying to move a behavior of a consumer in our favor, it has so little to do with how we actually increase page views or traffic over time, and so much to do with exactly as you say, influencing the behavior. You know, I'd much rather chop my traffic in half, and just to your point with Curata, say. Listen, I'm chopping my traffic in half, but I'm doubling mm-hmm. the conversions onto whatever I'm trying to convert to. That's the that's that's quite frankly the advantage that brands have in acting and behaving like a media company is that we don't have to sell advertising or eyeballs. We are trying to drive a very focused niche audience to do something. And if we go with it from that perspective, it's all about modifying behavior and has very little to do with the increase of traffic. And that's, I think, the, the the that's why I'm so convinced and passionate about, you know, traffic is is nice, 
but it's only nice if it's actually traffic that's doing something for you. Well, I had a couple conversations at Content Marketing World about this with, with rather large companies, and we were just talking about uh, their, their frequency of publishing and how that's going. And they said, well, should we be producing more on these platforms? And I had, you know, of course, I had to get a little bit more detail, but what it, in, in, in the cases where the conversations happen, what we found out is, is that they weren't getting hardly anything with their current content that they're putting out there. And then they're thinking about creating more. And I, and then once I found that out, I'm like, please, for the love of God, don't create any more content. No, if you're exactly. going, what I'd love, if you're going to do, if you think you have some some really differentiated content that's really going to be helpful for the, for the audience, what you might want to do is take those dollars that you put into content creation and put them into content promotion, and really get that out there well, in front of the right I mean, people to grow your audience, to grow your subscribers. Because once you build a a good solid group, what we call minimum viable audience of subscribers, then you can go ahead and tweak the platform and see like exactly what uh, Washington Post has done. That's exactly right. I mean, so here's another, so this is also a conversation I had at Content Marketing World. Big enterprise company, you definitely know the name. They have 200 products in their stable. And three of their blogs, three of their audience-focused blogs have been amazing, stupendous, wonderful traffic, not doing a lot on conversions, but have been really high growth platforms for traffic. They are getting traffic and they're starting now to get subscribers. And so the pressure they're getting now from all of the senior C-suite is quite frankly, well, then we should create a blog for every product we have. Mm-hmm. And, they're, they're, and, and, they're, and they're, they were saying to me, we don't want to do that. We want to put all of our attention and focus on these three that are doing great and really start to optimize them and convert the traffic and start to really, you know, really, really make these things great. But we're getting pressure now that basically when one or two or three of them are going great, that we should create an individual owned media platform for every single product we have. Do 200 blogs because, of course, more equals better. And that's not true. It's just not true. It won't work. Well, and the solution might not be an online destination. Like I had a conversation. I did the con- <laughs> right. I, well, I did the Content yeah. Inc. Uh, workshop on the last day, which is mostly for small businesses. But the one small business came up to me. It's not. It wasn't a smaller business. It was about a hundred million dollar business. So not a super small business. Sure. But they said, "Oh, we've done. We we created this one uh, content destination in real estate, and it really took off. And now the executive team's on board, and they want us to do it for our other eighteen categories." Exactly the conversation that you had yeah and they and and she the content strategist she believed that they sort of caught lightning in a bottle at the right time got a little bit lucky with coming out with that uh content tilt if you would and and then they got a they got an audience and it really worked and they said she said i don't think it's going to work that way in the other ones and what we really talked about was i said you have to really do a self-audit on the other uh on the other areas on the other um content niches, if you will, because maybe in those areas, maybe it's an event. Maybe it's a print publication. Maybe you're not doing any content creation at all. And that maybe it's working with influencers. Maybe it's on other networks, whatever the case is. Figure out the story and then the expression. Exactly. Well, figure out the value and then the expression of that value. Figure out. Yeah. I love that. I mean, Michael Jr.'s, uh, Kino, where he, I mean, he's a comedian. He did a great job at Content Marketing World. He says, your what can be a lot of different things. Figure out yeah. your why first. What's the purpose? What is the story? And then That's how right. you tell that story could happen in multiple different ways. That's right. All right. Well, then we should move along from that story because no more needs to be said about That's that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Moving on to our second story here of our show. This one coming courtesy of our friend and also family of the show, Chris Brogan uh, at chrisbrogan.com. And the headline here is Advertising Hits a Hurdle. Um, This one has less to do with his post, although I have a small take on his post. But um, really, it's the story that he's uncovering here, which is a video done by PewDiePie, who, of course, we've talked about ad well, a lot on a this lot. show. Yeah. Um, and basically, as the article opens up, says, hey, this is PewDiePie. You can decide he's a weirdo. You can decide his videos aren't that interesting because they're, quite frankly, about coverage of video games. But it's also one of the most uh, top-watched video categories on YouTube. PewDiePie makes uh, up reportedly up to more than $10 million a year from YouTube. But... Recently, YouTube has now implemented changes to appease the complaints of advertisers, and they forgot to tell top creative people, the ones who have created channels, um, like PewDiePie. Um, so now, wait a minute. I want to get your take, because I totally have a take on this, but, but, and, and it's a strong one. It's almost rant-like. But I want to get your take on this, because I know your kids watch PewDiePie. I know you're, you've, you've, you've talked with him. You know him. I do not know him. I know his videos really 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 well oh okay gotcha. uh, because we've, we've covered him. some no actually you're probably thinking of matthew patrick matt Pat, oh you're right who spoke yes, at yes, content marketing yes. world last year who's That's also right. in this kind of youtube uh creative suite if you will and by the so if i if i if anybody's listening to this the the two or three people out there that are listening to this old marketing right. i would go and watch this video it is a little bit uh, profane yeah it's um, not safe for work it's not for sure. safe for yeah. work but if you want to kind of listen to his take so this is the uh, the most celebrated YouTube creator ranting, just going off on a rant about YouTube, that they didn't talk to any of the creators first before they made changes in how they deliver their advertising. And so basically, long story short, it's coming out that YouTube is going to set certain guidelines that if you talk about drugs, you if you use certain language, if you talk about war, that you are not going to get as many advertisers to support what you do. And YouTube is making a decision to really segment their advertisers because if there's an advertiser out there that says, well, I don't want to be associated with anybody that has foul language, then somebody like PewDiePie would get you know, basically put into another category and he's not going to get as many uh, watches and he's not going to get as much money in the long run. Now, my, I want to hear your take, take on this because you and I talked about this before, but basically my take is boo-hoo. <laughs> right. It's like, it's... Uh, That's the headline for my rant. Here, oh, I'm yes. so... I'm, gonna, I'm not going to steal your thunder, but yeah. this is... Hey, this is what happens. You, if you use any platform for free that you are going to uh, create your content and you're going to build an audience, you should expect every morning that they're going to change the rules and you're going to have to find another way to make money. And this is for all brands, by the way. So if you started on Facebook and you, because I always in uh, in my, I just did my content presentation and I used Cisco Systems as an example. I said Cisco Systems were really hard to get those seven million people to like their Facebook page. And then now when they do an organic post, they get like five people to see that. And that didn't used to be the case. Now it is. Because why? Because Facebook made this incredible decision a few years ago that they wanted to make money from their platform. So they said, oh, well, then we're going to make brands pay for it. La-di-da. Here we go. So that's my whole take with this is that we just have to expect it. And the PewDiePie's of the world have to leverage YouTube for how he can right now and to try to move that into 
let's say, email subscribers perhaps, or some other way that he can own and control a little bit more of that conversation with his with his customers, with his audience, so that he can monetize those directly and not be beholden to somebody like YouTube. Yeah, well, did exactly. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I probably stole your thunder a little bit. No, right no, now. not at all. Well, oh, I mean, you, you, we, we agree, you know, fully and wholeheartedly, you know, I mean, my headline, if it's not boohoo, it's, you know, stop being a damn crybaby. I mean, that is that is it, it was as crybaby a video as I as, as I've possibly. Well, seen I do. I do have to say on his behalf, the fact that YouTube changed the rules and they don't go, owe him anything. No, no, no. They don't. They absolutely don't. But here's the thing. If you're with YouTube social relations, you would think that of be, course. because now there's he went a, out on a rant. A, right. He went on there's a rant a, about YouTube. A, right, he, right. They, they could have exactly. avoided that. Right. Sure. There's a PR angle here or a or a marketing angle that says, you know, you didn't communicate as well as you possibly could yes. have. But I, if I'm, I'm, I would be – I can't fathom how you wouldn't anticipate this. That at some point YouTube's going to drop the hammer on how advertisers are going to be looking at the quality of the and the type of content being put forward on YouTube as a means of filtering where they want their ads to go. That I mean, it just I mean, of course they're they're going to be doing that. Of course, at some point they're going to be looking at that. That advert that's just natural evolution of content here. I mean. You know, PewDiePie here looking at this should express his displeasure with YouTube in the next time he pays a bill to YouTube for the, oh, wait a minute, he doesn't pay any bills to YouTube for (laughs) streaming video, of course. So, you know, when you get the platform, when you can't figure out who the product is, it's you. And so that's... This to me, I, it, it it baffles me how anybody could be surprised that this was going to take place. The the one quibble I have with Chris and his point is he is he basically says what you say, which is yeah, it's it's it would be better if 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 they had let him know because the creators are what make the channel and and blah blah blah. And no, it's not. It's 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 absolutely. There will be plenty of PewDiePies to That's fill right. PewDiePie's space. There's a space whole line of creators behind that are PewDiePie willing to play by whatever be, yeah. rules are put forward. Yeah. And so, quite frankly, the advertisers complaining about this, complaining about the idea that they want to put their ads in front of quality content. That's the whole point of this, and that's a good thing. That means that it raises the standard of the quality of content, and you can't just go to the lowest common denominator to create content that is so controversial and or so you know provocative that it actually gets views. Because views is not a, just to the point we were going to make isn't what we're looking for. We're actually looking for that quality content to associate our brand with so that we get a quality audience that we're trying to target and attract. So, you know... This one to me was almost rant worthy. It's 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 just that stupid. Well, you did a you did a good yeah. job in in ranting about it. The one thing that I will say, I'll give you another example of this because, uh, and you've had you have some familiarity with this issue right now because uh, Audible, if you know the rules behind how Audible makes its money, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, somebody has a new audio book out. I do. Um, Thank you for mentioning. And that. I didn't even plan to put. That's just extra. I didn't plan no, ex- so experience is now on an audio book if you want robert's book go get it it's awesome and you read it yourself by the way so i did even and with carla better with carla with, carla, with yeah. rant yeah with rants yeah. intact yeah. Uh, so we definitely want to check that out but uh, when i first started using audible before it became an amazon company uh when when i 
sign the agreement, I was getting 60% of the revenues, which yeah, it's was not that much anymore. Amazing. Well, right now it's yeah. 40%. That's right. And they didn't really tell anybody about it. They just happened. And by the way, I fully expect that to be 20% because they're going to figure out, okay, how low can we go before people will, will revert to some other platform? And it's probably, it's probably honestly about 20%. I hope they're not listening. But that's probably what it is. So just it, this is happening in every market because they're, they're trying to be more profitable. They're all public companies. So they're going to do whatever it takes to squeeze it, out yeah, efficiency gonna, of right, that. They're going to yeah. squeeze it out, right? I mean, it already is. I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure I'm doing the math here, right? But there is already a difference, I believe, if people use one of their prime credits to download the book versus actually buying it at full price. Oh, I you get you get much different. Yeah, you yeah. get all kind. You get the content syndication price, and you get the free. I tried this on trial price, which That's you hardly right. get anything for. And then if That's then you right. get the forty percent if somebody paid the twenty bucks or seventeen ninety nine for your audiobook. Now, now, granted, I love Audible. Like, oh, if it's I, fantastic. Like, if I, I if mean, you said if you if you were an author and you wanted to make money, like. You're not going to make hardly anything off the print, but you can actually make some significant uh, money off of an audiobook if you have an audience. So, I mean, you could just go straight to audio. Uh, I, but I do like the print, by the way, because it drives it's, audio. It dri- it drives the revenues that way, too. It's, so. You know, I mean, look, I mean, you know, I have recognized the new model for the theme <laughs> of the show here of the digital and print and what it's like to be an author these days. And so that's how we change. So the fact that I, you know, it took me, it took us a year to get the Audible book up, but, uh, you know. I'm super happy that it's 40% and really, really, really glad. Um, if you were to pin me up against the wall and, and, and ask me, I'd be fine if it was 35. I'd be fine if it was 30. It's, you know, yeah. at this point, it's printing money for me. Any, any sale is printing money. If it goes to zero, then it goes to zero and I find something else to go do and I sell it on my website or something like that. It's, we're always in change, right? And we're looking for that next model. It's, you know, it's, it's, yeah. this is, this is what we do these days. So just to sum up uh, this article, and thanks, Chris, for sharing this. And, and, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I really enjoyed uh, part of the video of, of PewDiePie. We should all remember. Oh, I enjoyed the video. Oh, by yeah. the way. It was funny. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's funny. It's yeah, really it's... good. It's actually very, very well produced. All of his stuff is well produced. Uh, yeah. But, but I guess to uh, marketers out there, this is another – how many reminders do we give our listeners? This is just another right. really another good reminder, reminder – Helpful safety kit, kids. Don't build your house on rented <laughs> land and land. use yeah. those networks for all that you want to, but expect them to change the next day. Know your model. Know your model. Well, speaking of models, we have an amazingly good-looking episode sponsored this for yet another week. We do, absolutely. And I can't believe we only got to two news articles this week. <laughs> well, we had Content Marketing World and we had to that talk and we had to catch up. I mean, we, we'll throw we did, some other you, ones in It should in be for said you. that you and I didn't really even get the chance to talk at all at Content Marketing World. I mean, we I think you and I talked for a, for a sum total of five minutes during That's the That's probably days we true because you were working and I was yes. doing something. I don't know what I was doing. I was, I was busy... <laughs> I, I do have to I do have to say this because I'm going to take the whole show talking about this. I had somebody come up to me at a party, good friend of mine, and he said, "Joe, he said I haven't seen you as much as in past content marketing worlds. Is this something about the new company and you not being seen or whatever?" And I'm like flabbergasted. I'm like, "Dude, I spent 15 minutes eating lunch." 
And that's the only time I had to myself. I was out there the entire time. I said, maybe you just couldn't see me for some yeah. reason. It's bigger. So I'm like, it's Man. definitely bigger. It's definitely bigger. It's 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 there's a lot more people. There, and there. and it's and it's hard to it's hard to get around. I want to meet all thirty six hundred of them. I know I just Absolutely. it's just not possible it's, to do that right. anymore. We're gonna have to split time. You're like you take eighteen hundred, I'll take eighteen hundred, and we'll meet in the middle. <laughs> all right, there this week very uh, special thanks to our episode sponsor, Von Twenty Four. Also, uh, a big uh, supporter for us and in, in everything we do, including content marketing world webinars. Believe it or not, have become the single most important marketing tool to generate leads and drive new business, according to our friends at On24. But are you happy with the performance of your webinars? Maybe you're not. A few best practices can make the difference between a huge success and a waste of time and resources. And we don't like that. On24's 2016 Webinar Benchmark Report highlights data from over 12,000 webinars. Yes, that's 12000 webinars. That will help you understand the latest trends in webinar marketing. You need to get this, but like a good webinar producer, On24 put a webinar together for you, and you can watch it on demand. I know. You can watch it on demand at cmi.media slash pnr148, cmi.media slash pnr148. You get to watch the webinar. Then you get the the benchmark study. You get all kinds of goodies. I'm sure our friend Mark Bornstein and On24 will will send a piece of gum or something else to you, maybe a candy bar, (laughs) whatever it takes for you to download this thing. He's going to be happy you do it. You get right. you get ideas around webinar registration and attendee benchmarks, attendance benchmarks, best times of the day to deliver webinars, most popular interactive tools, and then webinar on-demand viewing habits. So go ahead and check it out at cmi.media slash PNR148. And special thanks again to our episode sponsor, On24. Woohoo. Woohoo. Thank you very much to them. That's a, it's a it's an awesome piece, I have to say. I I, I did get a chance to check it out before before Content Marketing World, and, and it's just it's just wonderful. And we use On24. I mean, like, I'm not even going to pull any punches. We use On24. Yeah. I've been using On24 since the year 2001, All believe right. it or not. So that's just a customer testimonial. That's free, Mark, by the way. That's there just a go. freebie I just threw out there for you. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show. It's our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like, the model is perfectly put together with no glue coming out of the seams or the model is completely broken and just uh, falling down all around us. So let's see. Um, I have this old marketing this uh, this time. So I go first. I finally figured this out. after You're, you're really episodes. getting it only I'm, took 148 on episodes, but you've got I'm, it, my friend. I'm on it. I'm on it. <laughs> so I have very two very short raves here um, coming off a of content marketing world. Um, and I'll mention both of them. So one quickly to the indomitable, I mentioned this in my keynote actually, when I did the panel on, on content cultures at, at content marketing world, but the indomitable Rebecca Lee has a new piece of research out. That's just totally worth a download. Of course, we'll link to this in the show notes. Um, but it's called uh, contextual campaigns. Um, and it's not as much about content marketing, although it has direct correlation to content marketing. And she offers up this new research where she's gone out and talked to different brands, mostly global big companies to talk to them about the importance of contextual content in different um, parts of the buyer's journey. She's got a new layered approach through context uh, where she takes the 
thing, place, time, history, conditions, and individual, really working down through the layers of context to get to much more personalized and or um, relevant pieces of, of content campaigns. Um, she goes through examples from companies she's worked with, from Marantz, the stereo people, to others. I really love this mostly because of the argument for content marketing can be directly extrapolated from this, right? If you're trying to get more contextual content into your direct marketing campaigns, a content marketing approach makes perfect example of that because it is one of the things that will provide you with contextual data in order to be able to present those offers that you may want to present in either automated or other fashion. So just a wonderful piece of research. Please go read it. It's a fast read um, and really, really good stuff from Rebecca. Um, my second piece is this guy that I have become a total fanboy of. Um, his name is John Hagel. He runs the Innovation Center at Deloitte. Um, and he's got a blog uh, called Edge Perspectives. Um, I don't know what it is with the big thought leaders and their use of TypePad, but okay, he uses TypePad. <laughs> um, so uh, he's his Edge Perspectives. We'll of course link to it in the uh, in the show notes here. But he talks about this idea. It was an interview. I actually raved about this on the show. It was an interview he did almost a year ago where he talked about um, the idea of content becoming a business model rather than a business strategy. And he talked about this idea of co companies becoming trusted advisor first and foremost and really selling anybody's product but really developing a customer base around the idea of becoming a trusted advisor. And at the time, I was like, ah, I'm not sure I can go that far just yet. I'm becoming more and more convinced that that's a really interesting idea. But he actually goes through this idea of how companies that are really you know surviving because of their sort of uh, addiction as he calls it to advertising and that model of of marketing is ultimately going to be bad and he goes through a couple of different returns. One he calls return on attention, which of course is something I've talked about in spades here. Another he calls return on information, which is something I've recently been talking about with the idea of a business case for content marketing being all about the data uh, and our, our ability to get deeper insight into our customers by using it. And perhaps the first piece of value we would derive and then lastly, he talks on this idea uh, of reward on skills or return on skills, developing customers. And that's the one I want to sort of just provide a huge, you know, high five or whatever to because it's, it also goes into this other guy that I've been really exploring a lot uh, lately, this guy, Michael Schrag, um, who writes for Harvard Business Review and has written a couple of books. And I'm reading a book now that is, was written a few years ago, actually, but it's actually this book, uh, it's, a, it's a piece called What Do You Want Your Customers to Become? And this one is really interesting to me from a content marketing perspective because it's this idea, this argument that we're saying we use the experiences we're creating in content not to help our customers come to the conclusion that they'll ultimately buy our thing, but to actually help them become the customers we want them to be. In other words, educate them, skill them up, get them much more evolved as people in whatever they're trying to do that help them become the customers that we want them to be that will ultimately then, of course, naturally preclude them to become more loyal, more, you know, more buyers. So ultimately transforming customers into whatever it is we look at as the perfect customer for our product or service. So helping, and that goes to right to the thought leadership and education and all of that. It's a really interesting angle he doesn't, of course, talk about Michael Schrag in his blog post, but it's something that I'm going to do some more writing on in the future because I, 
just find it fascinating. Fantastic blog post. Just couldn't rave about it enough. And those are my two raves. It sounds like he's been reading a little bit of Robert Rose. Because that sounds... No, absolutely not. No, these these guys are... Yeah, these guys are light. All right. Well, uh, to be honest, I have not read that article. I'm going to have to read that post. So... Yeah, it's great. I will have to get around to it. Fantastic. Um, I have two short raves as well since we did a little ranting in the middle of the show i think we're allowed to uh to do two raves. <laughs> right usually we don't like to just do all raves because uh, our fans love the rants but so the first one is uh and this um uh, monina wagner who is our um the, runs all of our social media does a fantastic job for for content marketing institute she sent me this link it's upstanders by upstanders so up and then standers by starbucks and I saw this immediately, and then I thought back to Content Marketing World 2015, where our good friend Rajiv Chandra Sekran, I'm sorry, Chandra, Chandra Sekran, he keynoted because he was leaving. If you remember, he left the Washington Post to start this big initiative with Howard Schultz, who's the CEO of Starbucks, founder and CEO of Starbucks, and to put this whole thing together about telling these amazing stories, which I thought were just going to be around veterans because they wrote a book together about how we're forgetting our veterans. There's this big push around this. And I thought he was going to do some writing around this. Well, this is mm. this is an original series. This is a video series. And I saw one video here. And the video that I watched was called A Warrior's Workout. There's no mention of Starbucks at all in this. And it was written and directed by Rajiv. It's fantastic. Like, I'm on the verge of tears, Robert, just listening and watching these stories about, I mean, it is amazing and riveting storytelling. And I just wanted to share it because I think anyone who creates content needs to see what Starbucks is doing. And, you know, our good friend Russell Sparkman and I, we had a great conversation. He did a presentation at CMW. Uh, about purpose and finding your purpose. And there was a lot of talk at the event about what's your higher purpose, what's your why. And I think this is amazing that Starbucks can go out and do this purpose-driven content and do something that's very powerful. And I actually had to think about it, Robert. I was thinking, does this make me actually want to go to Starbucks more often? And I'm like, yes, it does. Absolutely. Like, (laughs) I will be more apt if there's a choice and there's a Starbucks and a Dunkin' Donuts or whatever that can both get me a latte. Where am I going to go? I'm probably going to go to Starbucks now because now that's just me. I'm I'm not not doing a formal survey. This isn't a good sample. It's just me. I think this is that powerful. And I just wanted to send out some love to Starbucks for doing this and supporting this and to put some revenue behind it, something that they feel is important to their their own brand and that they feel that there's just a pocket of, uh, let's say, a content gap that's not being served properly. And the first episodes have, let's see, 10, 10 or 12, I think it's 10, 10 episodes. And they go through these different upstanders, as they call them. So I, I I just want everybody to take some time. If you want to look at the one on the Warriors, that's great. I'm going to probably watch all of them at some point. But I just got the email from Mo literally, what, an hour before what I sent it to you, an hour before we came yeah, on the air. Exactly. And I'm like, I got to share this with this old marketing uh, listenership. So that's the first one. Fantastic. Great job. Kudos to Rajiv and the uh, Starbucks team for that. The second one is my is a blog post from my good friend uh, Doug Kessler 
at Velocity Partners, a UK um, agency. By the way, uh, really, really, and, and I had nothing to do with it because I wasn't a part of the judging at all for Agency of the Year. But Velocity Partners won Small Agency of the Year. So congratulations to Doug and the and the Velocity Partners team. But I uh, generally, if he's not too busy, Doug does a recap of Content Marketing World. And he did a recap in this, which was about halfway through. This is before he even knew that he won the award this year. First of all, it, I would read anything from Doug Kessler. Like he could talk about <laughs> the most he's annoyingly thing. clever with his writing. He's yeah. just such a good writer, uh, yeah. and he put something together. But I just wanted to read because because he he comments on my uh, on my commitment take because. I wasn't. It's not. It wasn't a negative keynote, but it was. A, I was challenging people, sure. and he was sort of challenging. Provocative, you might. Yeah, say. he was. He was coming back at me and challenging. And so he wrote a very lengthy, again, uh, blog post about this. And I just want to take out a couple of snippets because he really believes that uh, that content marketing is has more than come into its own, and it's not going anywhere. And this is what he says. So this is straight from Doug. Uh, the marketing that content marketing is dissolving back into is a marketing that, as a marketer, I feel duty-bound to call new and improved. And he trademarked it. New and improved. We made it better, <laughs> he says. No, I don't think the term or the practice is disappearing or receding in any way. Far from it. In many ways, it's just beginning, which I agree with. But the new ideas and values that were bundled together in the content marketing model are now being rapidly adopted by the wider marketing world. Putting your audience's needs above your promotional agenda, actually bringing value to the customer conversation, earning your slice of attention instead of assuming it. He says, that's just marketing, bro. And uh, I just, that's. I can't even do it justice because it's so good and all so the good, and all yeah. the metaphors he uses in this is great and we'll of course link this in the show notes and the post on Saturday but um what I loved about this was is you know we talk about this Robert we're we're just marketers man we're not we're yeah. not uh, we're not feeding the hungry or housing the homeless here but doesn't I doesn't mean we're not changing the world. But I do believe that we are making impact. I mean, you and I both know we get people coming up to us at Content Marketing World. And this one really hits home. When you get somebody that comes up to you and they're already crying about the impact that, that some silly thing that we thought was silly that we've done made a really important impact on oh, their it's, life. It's, and then it's here the it is. Of, it's the light of the show for me to have that happen. Well, and, it, and it happened three times at, the, at, this, at this year's show. And, and I guess... What I think is is that I really do believe that this is just a better way to market, and I always believed that the mission of Content Marketing Institute, if we could get enough enterprise marketers to start doing this, that it would create a word world better world because we are making our customers better in some way with their lives or getting better jobs or whatever the case is, which is content marketing the value goes both ways it's not just we're not just taking we're not just selling we're delivering real value to them and they're going to pay us back by buying more of our stuff or, or just becoming better customers as you it's just talked just about more interesting it's just a more interesting way to go about life you know what i mean instead of trying to always be selling something to actually working to deliver value at every step you can do it's just a much more interesting proposition and i it's funny because i had a conversation with pamela muldoon just about how they their company goes to market a little bit. I'm not giving away any trade secrets here, but I, I basically said you've got on one side you've got this thing 
where, yes, you could be more efficient, this older model. You could just wring the efficiency out of the process as much as you can. And can it? Can you get better? Absolutely. But your pond doesn't grow any bigger. But here on the other side, you can create that little teeny pond that you have into an ocean of opportunity for you. But it just (laughs) it just makes you just have to communicate differently. You're gonna you're gonna need you're gonna need one of those motivational posters for that. I picture this sailboat on an ocean. Your quote (laughs) underneath it: "Turn your pond into an ocean Ocean of opportunity." Yeah. Hey, somebody should do a meme of that. By the way, hey there, audience. You should somebody should do a, a meme on this. And create a Twitter thing where there's a motivational poster with Joe's that quote right there. Turning your content pond into an ocean of opportunity. (laughs) Hashtag Joe is lonely. He needs help. Uh, whatever the case is. No. So, anyways, kudos to uh, to Doug and the and the team at Velocity Partners. I love this post. If you get a chance, read the whole thing. It's it's worth the read, and it's it's a good time stamp on where we are as a discipline right now and that i think the best days are ahead of us i do too i do too well speaking of the best days being ahead of us and talking about the days behind us it is now time for our this old marketing example and i you know it was funny i i found this through somebody uh actually asked me uh, we were of course when you're a content marketing world what do you do you take selfies and you take a lot i don't know about you but i took a lot oh yeah lots of selfies and so there was tons of selfies going on and i got home and my wife said to me the first because of course she sees these in my you know because people tag you and so she sees them in my facebook feed and she's like She's like, dude, I got one question for you. She's like, why is your mouth open in every damn picture that you take? And I'm like, well, that's my selfie face. That is like, your selfie face. Yeah. You have and she's a- like, yeah, you need to stop that. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. <laughs> Hint taken. And so I started looking up, actually, the history of why we smile in photographs, because, of course, we didn't used to smile in photographs. And there's a whole interesting thing uh, about that that um, I won't go into for time's sake, but there's a really interesting evolution. And one of the companies that actually reported on that evolution was Kodak. And, you know, Kodak has been bullied around, you know, for failing to see some of the disruptions and stuff like that. But Kodak in its heyday was, of course, one of the biggest companies on the planet, you know, and certainly a company that innovated around the idea of photography and and, and film and, and all of that. And I found out through, so I start digging through, you know, what Kodak has been doing from a publishing perspective and, and, and all of that. They published a lot of magazines. Did you know all the magazines that they published? I don't think was, I. I don't oh my think god! So. It's, it, there's a whole there's a whole list of like the journals and magazines that they used to publish, going all the way back to the early 1900s. Um, you know, it's like 30 or 40 different magazines that they published during their during their time. Um, you know, one of them, one of the bigger ones, um, maybe the biggest ones, was a was a magazine called Studio Light, a magazine of information for professionals, and it was basically, I guess, almost a B two B because it was really only really meant for professional photographers. And it start it, this magazine ran. You're gonna this is gonna blow your mind. It ran for almost a hundred years. The magazine did. It went from 1901 when it was first um, put out by Kodak 
all the way to 1990 was when they oh was, when gosh. they stopped pub- publishing this magazine. You would buy a camera as a professional. If you bought a professional camera, Kodak camera back in the day, you'd get automatically a subscription to this magazine. They had 100,000 subscribers um, at varying points of the, the magazine's life. And it's funny, and there's not anything online that I can find that sort of talks through the entire history of the magazine itself. But in just reading some of the articles about it, how many papers, journals, thought leadership articles, magazines, other magazines referenced Studio Light as sort of the source of everything around professional photography, certainly during the early 1900s and into the 30s and 40s. And so this is the one piece that I wanted to pull out because I knew you'd get a total kick out of this. I pulled an issue. I found an issue online from 1915, so 15 years into the magazine's run. Very first page, their content mission. And you're going to love this. Oh, okay. Because their content mission, basically why they published this magazine. Our business was established on a high-quality basis. It has grown only because we act on the belief that we can maintain our position in the trade just so long as we make better goods than our competitors and no longer. However, our customers receive the benefit of our company based on the information and skill which, which we can basically develop them into better photographers. Each of our magazines is published with the with the point of being for Europe, Americas and uh our our publication standards are looking to make the very breadth of our business enable us to give absolutely the best information about the uh in the world for the technical skill and producing uh great photography. Our theory is that we can be the best by uh, in serving ourselves only by supplying our customers with the best information. And then it goes on to sort of talk about the the goal of this magazine is basically to provide the best practices and information around the professional photographer um, in the world. And it's just and it's basically then signed by the publisher. And it was every single issue had that content mission in the very front part of it. That's uh, I'm going to have to get my hands on that now. I, I would probably shorten it a little bit. Oh, it's but, long. Oh, yeah, but it's but 1915, I, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so, you know, again, it's like, you know, it's it's in that mid-Atlantic accent, you know. Ah, business was established under quality. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and all the sales at sea, because we act on the belief that we are, can maintain our position in the trade. <laughs> That's tremendous. Well, we, yeah. I can't believe we've been doing this show, and we've, we've never uncovered that one. And, I know. It was amazing. And, and all because of the selfie thing. It yeah, went, it was just like, it's funny. Well, well see, only it's, it's, only you would be like, "Oh, my wife but, said I shouldn't be open mouth, and I'm gonna I'm gonna research <laughs> the history of people smiling and that's, selfies." That's what I do. That's that's oh, now you know what God. I do on the weekends as I'm watching football games as oh, I Lord research the history of the selfie. Good deal. So, all right, so what do you got this week? You home this week? Uh, you recovering? What's the deal? Decompressing. Yeah, I've got a lot to catch up on. Uh, as you know, we already talked about it. We're filling in the agenda for Intelligent Content Conference, so working on that. And then I don't have to travel till next week. I'll be at Social Brand Forum in Iowa with my good friend Nick Westergaard. So that'll be fun. And then after that, I fly. I do have a couple quick trips to London and Helsinki. So 
it starts again. We are in yes, fall season, exactly. and fall season means that you and I are out speaking. Out so where, yes, where are exactly. you going next? You got a little time I'm, out? Well, I'm home this week, I'm decompressing as you are, and then I start next week. Yep, I head to Boston, and then right from Boston, I go to Slovenia to see our wonderful Slovenian oh, friends that's right. in Ad and Primoz and, and, and do a conference there. And then I go back through London. And I'm in London for a couple of days, and then and then yeah, I mean it starts again. It's 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 all all on the road. We might be in London at the same time. We'll have to check. We might because we don't get a chance to talk any other time. This show can't talk in a content marketing world, so maybe we have to actually get together in London. So maybe exactly. that'll happen. I would. So. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. All right. That is it, ladies and gentlemen. This uh, for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number one hundred and forty-eight. Do consider leaving us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or any of those things where you can do so. And consider subscribing, won't you? When you subscribe, if you leave us a review, if you subscribe and if you leave us a review, let us know, won't you? Hashtag us up on This Old Marketing at, on the Twitter or anything like that. We would certainly love to thank you personally for that. That's how much we appreciate you as a subscriber to this little bucket of nonsense that we do every week. So also story ideas, story ideas, and This Old Marketing examples, we love them. You can also hashtag us up at This marketing on twitter or on facebook or any of those social media channels or you know through that old-fashioned thing called email this old marketing at contentinstitute.com is the address there if you want to send us something all the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes which are available in the show that we publish on monday night and of course in the show post in all of their blue linked glory at thisoldmarketing.com on saturdays until next week everybody remember it's your story to tell tell it well we'll see you next week on this old marketing of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.